0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I cannot wait to introduce our guest today.
1: This is a, this is a special day.
0: Yes, very <laughs> special because. Our guest today is Shelly Washington.
1: The fabulous Shelly Washington.
0: Hi, Shelly. Hi, (laughs) hi, hello, and thank you for that great introduction. It's so awesome for us to have you here. It's so exciting for me. When we first met in Mysore back in 2004, it was like meeting a rock star or an idol, someone that is just absolutely fabulous. And like on your, I wish I could meet list because you are just an incredible, inspiring dancer. And, um, when we first met, that's, that's who you were to me.
1: Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. Can you say a little bit about how someone as fabulous as you, and we're going to dig in for our listeners just we're going to let them know exactly why and how you're as fabulous as you are. But can you, can you just say a little bit about how someone as fabulous as you found yourself in Gokulam of all places in India?
2: You know, that's a question I have asked myself several times. Uh, And thank you for the fabulous. I don't know how much of that is true, but I, um, you know, I was a professional dancer in New York city. I retired in the early nineties. I was still, Uh, working with Twyla Tharp and uh, as her associate director for many years and staging her works and um, was missing something, you know, from not dancing anymore. I was in my late thirties probably. And I spent 10 years after that searching and a lot of that was in a gym and a lot of that was cycling. And I was addicted to exercise, of course, coming from being a dancer and just my endorphins. I got really into biking. Mm -hmm. I, um, was so into it that I would probably go to a gym and spend maybe two or three hours a day on this stationary bike. Then I got into spinning. Uh, And as I was doing all of that for years, because I had lost so many friends to AIDS in the dance world, Mm -hmm. I did a lot of the Boston, New York uh, AIDS rides and I trained very hard sometimes, a hundred miles a day. Um, I spent, I traveled with my bike when I staged a production for the what was it, the Dutch National, I took my bike to Holland, I hired somebody every morning from six to nine to meet me at my hotel and take me through Holland six days a week, I was riding there when I was staging for um, the Australian Ballet, I brought my bike there, I rode with the team on the weekends, I was really into it, now I'm back in New York, I'm on my bike and they pull the bikes to the side and this yoga teacher comes in to do our yoga class and it's probably been like 10 years, I've been way into this cycling and I couldn't touch my toes. And I was yeah, like, oh my God, I'm so tight. So I started taking these yoga classes.
1: Uh, oh, wait, wait. You gym. were on the bike in the gym and the yes. yoga class came in. And why did in you say gym. to yourself, well, I should do that too? Like, Why did you think to do that as well?
2: I was really getting tight. I was aerobically and physically in great shape, but I, you know, I, I, my hamstrings and my back and so forth. So I said, you know what? Maybe I'll just do some of this yoga stuff, which I never wanted to do before. And my teacher kind of, uh, well, it was just like all typical of what I thought yoga was. And anyway, I did her classes. And after a few (laughs) months, she said, you know, um, I only remember her first name is Pat. She came up to me and said, you know, you come a lot to the class and I really can't help you much because it's a gym and you should go to a yoga studio. Go to Jiva Mukti.
1: Oh, Okay. So
2: I went to Jiva Mukti one afternoon. I took a lead primary class at four or five in the evening with Govinda who was Russell at the Russell, time. Oh, Russell wow. Kai. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: That so was I my first Meister class too. Class. wow I, I,
2: I couldn't do any much of it, but you know, I was looking around and there like doing Chuck Rossin and stuff. I was like, oh my God, what is this? But I kind of followed around. So I went like twice a week. Yeah. And Russell comes up to me, a Govinda now, and says, I, uh, you know, I would w- really like to help you. But I can't. This is a leg class. You <laughs> should be coming to my morning class. It's my sort I go, Well, what's that? And he explains what time. And he said it starts at six and it's over at nine or ten. I can't remember. I was like, Six in the morning? Oh my God. Okay. So I went three times, two or three times a week, thinking I was like a major person getting up and going to uh, Jiva Mukti at that hour. For, for, and I mean, he got me up, up to. Richie, yes, and then I couldn't go beyond that because I couldn't bind and he came over and he helped me every day and then one day he comes over he goes you know I'd really like to help you
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so this is a theme here
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it is
2: but you're not coming enough you you have to come here six days a week I looked at him and said what <laughs> I have to get up early six days a week to come here like when do I party? When do I drink? Yeah. What do I do? And he looks right at me and said, "Friday night,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> There's only one night you can. That's do that. one night. Yeah.
2: So yeah. I got into it. So that's how I started the. And Kino, it, was in my class, and Barry, yeah, yeah. And, um, Chuck. Uh, it was kind of it was wild. Um, so I was doing that, and Chuck then in the time segwaying into that i had just kind of reconnected with david i started texting him and going hey i think i like this chant what is it or hey my neck is hurting me on this backward flip thing how do i do it and he would write me back this stuff you know and he would write it and sign it is this shelly washington because the shelly washington i met 10 years ago said she would never do yoga and i'd be like yeah i like the chanting and so <laughs> Anyway, so that's how it kind of started again. Anyway, you were still
1: in contact with David that that whole time. The
2: whole time, not not um, not all the time. Maybe we had our own separate lives, (laughs) but yeah. 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 So, but when I was like dying, and Chuck Ross and I was like, yeah,
0: let me call this guy. I think he does yoga.
2: That's basically how it (laughs) was. And And just um, for our
0: listeners, the David you're referring to is David Swenson. (laughs) I remember being in a,
2: sitting and waiting for uh, one of the classes at Jiva Mukti. This is, you know, so long ago. And um, I guess the the late 90s. Yeah, maybe late 90s, early 2000, maybe early 2000. And there's David on a videotape. And I look up and I go, I know that guy. I I, I, I hung out with him in 1991 in California. Everybody's like, yeah, right. I don't know. I, I know him. So anyway, that was also funny. And um, mm. did not you meet him in a nightclub? I met him in an open air, like dance place. I, I couldn't even call it a club. He was with two friends and I was with two friends. I was working with Twyla. She was working on a movie. I had flown out to spend a month with her and make sure she had everything she needed. And I was working such unbelievable hours and getting that, up. That was I was an... exhausted. It, this White was Nights, in, I think was
1: it? I'm sorry? White Knights. Was it that movie? No,
2: that one was before. This was okay. um White Knights was way after. Well, no, actually, White Knights was before. Yeah. Um, this is a movie with um I can't remember at the moment, I'll try and remember. No. I wasn't involved with the movie, I was just there to help her get through working on the movie. Okay. It was with Nick Nolte, and I can't I can't remember. Anyway, I live with her. I think we were in Santa Monica. Um, It was beautiful. David was just starting in his yoga in LA, having a very difficult time working a million other jobs and so forth. And his friends had brought him to this place just to dance and, you know, let off some steam and my friends also. And that's where we met. Um, And then we kind of would run into each other. Um, I don't know, six years later, we ran into each other in London and then, two years after that, we ran into each other in New York. And then like a year and a half after that, we literally ran into each other in Colorado, um, (laughs) literally just like turning a corner and boom. Hey, hi, what are you doing here? (laughs) Um, Gee, and he'd be like, I'm teaching here. And I'd be like, oh, my sister and my family have lived here since the seventies. Oh, wow. You know, or New York just turning a corner, oh. My God, what are you doing here? I'm here to study with Potompa Joyce. Who's that? You know, like, um, you know, yeah. Potompa Joyce is here doing a, a conference or whatever. Um, and anyway, so we fast forward, got together, we moved out of, I moved out of New York, uh, we moved to Austin, his family is uh, from Houston, Mm-hmm. And um, he had moved back to Houston when his father was very sick with cancer and he'd moved back from California mm. to be with his dad through his final year yeah. of life and take help his mother take care of his father. So he was here and I was like, well, I, I couldn't even drive a car. I was so New York. i had been in New York <laughs> for 30 years. I didn't know any color existed except black. I mean, that's <laughs> you know all I wore. I never ate dinner before 11 at night because I was always in the theater. Um, you know, it was completely, <laughs> completely different. David, when we when I ran into him in London, we had dinner at a like vegan restaurant in London in the <laughs> 90s. I was working with the Royal Ballet at like 6:30, and I said to him, "Who eats at 6:30? I've never heard of anyone who eats dinner." And you know, he showed up, and he was like in hemp, and we laugh at this story all the time, and. You know, he's basically, I'm exaggerating a bit, but he's like, you know, having hot water with a lemon and, you know, (laughs) leaf lettuce and, you know, and I'm picking chicken out of my teeth and wearing, you know, some little (laughs) mini skirt and full on makeup and (laughs) crazy (laughs) different times. But, um, and I remember saying to him, I mean, who who could be with you? Who could eat? Like, what do you eat? And now (laughs) I'm that person doing all that eat what amazing. he eats it's kind of it, wild
1: but, and so but, you um, two we're going to, to gokulam together and so you went there together
2: we went together and we went because he has never really been my teacher you know i say that david has been my teacher in life and Sherat ultimately became my yoga teacher but um i was studying with sharon moon and bella here in austin yeah. and so was i at
1: that time yes we were, we were hanging out a little bit yes
2: And at the North Studio, particularly, I'll never forget. I came home, it was 2002. And I said to David, you know what? I'm going to the source. I'm going to go to India. I'm going to go and figure this out on my own. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you know, the family is coming to America. This is the end of 2002. Why don't you go and, you know, study, see the family and see how you feel? So I said, all right, I'm going to go by myself. I want my own experience. I don't want anything to be anything to do with you. I don't want anyone to know I'm with you. I just want to go. So I went to Boulder for a week and did, and that, you know, Sarah Swati was there, Joseph, uh, obviously. Uh, Joseph Dunham, Ruby, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, Sherat, um, the whole family was there, Sarah Swati, yeah. And I took these classes in the morning, you know, the lead class, so Richard Freeman was the host. And um, right. I spent a little time with the family, um, After some some of those days, throwing snowballs and kind of having fun. And I went back home and I said, Okay, I think I'm ready. I'm going to India. So David and I went to India in March of 2003. We were planning to go for a month. He um, wasn't sure how I would feel going. He prepared me very well. Um, (laughs) And I actually went, we were the first ones in the new shala, you know, so I never practiced in the old shala. There were, maybe, maybe 48 people tops. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah. I and
2: I think uh, we were gonna stay for a month and David had to leave to travel. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm gonna stay. And I stayed for two more months by myself. That's when I got the, apart- the, the house and put the it together. That was my day job. Beautiful,
1: um, sumptuous, yeah, luxurious it was, apartment.
2: Yes. It had time, running yes. water, had a <laughs> yes. toilet.
1: Had a yes. television, yes, incredible,
2: in- and a refrigerator <laughs> with a freezer.
1: I mean, <laughs> it was it was and- the kind of luxury that we just we couldn't even like your 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 mouth would drop open exactly. And, and I
2: think I was in my maybe early fifties by then, and my grandparents had passed and left me just a little bit of money. And I said, "All right, I'll put it to put it to this good use. I'm going to stay here and come here a couple of times a year." I think. Oh, well, he had a bed. I mean, nobody if, even had beds. I mean, everybody no. was sleeping. and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of, one of the oldest people here. And I lived in the 70s, sleeping on floors and wearing yeah. jeans and doing right. all that stuff. And I'm not going to do it now. Um, and this is funny. I remember Lakshmi coming and going. oh, your house is so amazing. Exactly. And then one day he came, like about four years later, and he said, I'm so sorry, but there's a, a house that's more amazing than yours now. And pretty mm. soon it was like, oh, every house is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Right? But
1: there was a period where your house was the place to be. Yes. And if you could get a friendship going with Shelley Washington, then you could have a much better afternoon. Well, I you <laughs> know it
2: was really kind of fun. And we took, you know, I took some heat for having a bed and uh, <laughs> oh my TV gosh. and uh, ice. And mm-hmm. then pretty soon people ice, would be like, yeah. hey can I come over and just have some ice? Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Um, Then the next step up was like, do you have an air conditioner? And I did. Oh yeah.
2: I had one air conditioner in the bedroom and I had, you know, the houses had beautiful marble floors. And so the coolest thing to do was to make hot chai and then go in the bedroom, close the door, sit on the floor and drink hot chai and be cold because you know, it was so hot there. It It was like the biggest luxury. Um, I loved it. I loved those early days. It, it really, they stuck with me. And even now, every once in a while, I'll just send a WhatsApp to Sharat or uh, Shruti and say, gosh, I miss it. I miss those yeah. days. You know, um, I learned so much. It actually, the yoga and uh, being there changed the way I uh, work with dancers oh. and um, How so? it, it's, Sort of changed me, and it's given me so many more opportunities. Um, it's been, been a real blessing in many, many ways.
1: How did it change the way you work with dancers?
2: Um, I think that and this kind of well, I feel like there was something very organic about the yoga and about the way you learned and the structure of it and and how um, how I learned and I was you know older when I started, so, and it, it was calming. And especially uh, David, and he was never, nothing was a reward, you know. And even Sherat, you know, you guys, you know, you finally mm-hmm. get an asana, and they don't come up and go, woohoo! You know, yeah. there's no bravo, there's no applause, there's no flowers thrown on stage, like when you're a dancer. They mm-hmm. just give you the next posture, which hurts more. And then right, they
0: yeah.
2: have to spend more time, like getting into yourself and, and, figuring out what's important and what's not and where to release the tension and where to activate and, you know, where to let go. And, um, also some sort of just presence and, uh, some patience and, uh, maybe patience and compassion for your, for your body, which is not something I would think of when I was a dancer, there was no compassion. It was like, you just had to do it. You, you, you worked hard, you turned your legs out more, you jumped higher, you pushed.
1: So yeah. I think
2: in teaching, I started to really think, wow, what, you know, what is a teacher? A teacher is someone who facilitates, someone who motivates, someone who inspires you. Mm-hmm. And that and can be done in a way that is not strict and, and enforcement. And Because um, I used to be quite strict as a, as a ballet mm-hmm. rehearsal director. Um, you know and I still am you have to be on time you have to be standing up shoes on ready to go um, you know I'm I still have that but it's I've, it became more fun and I do still say to dancers this is live this is live theater and if you fall or you make a mistake you know I'm, I forgive you I don't forgive if you don't try yeah as long as you go out there and give a hundred percent the result, yes, we want you to have a great show. the The reality is that not everybody is going to have the best show at the same time. Sometimes it all comes together, but heart and soul, and um, uh, forgiveness, and that's been uh, kind of a wonderful thing, you know.
1: Mm. You know, Harmony mentioned recently that one of the one of the, the the diversions in in the road, the the fork in the road for her was that with, with ballet, she felt at one point that her life was in danger with it. And I, I wanted to ask you uh, your experience in, in dance, because it is, it's, I think it's, it's, it can be brutal for girls with body image and with diet. And I, and I wanted to ask you, Shelley, how did, how did you not just survive in dance and how did you survive in dance, but how did you thrive there?
2: um gee that's a good question I'm going to just start with a little history my my father was in the army my parents were actors in college they met in college they graduated from Howard University which is an all-black college that was in the early early 50s um my dad was uh, one of the top black disc jockeys in Washington DC 52 53
1: Incredible. and then I
2: was born and then he went into the army because there wasn't really a lot of work for people of color in um, theater back those days. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were always really uh, made sure my sister and I could do any kind of curricular activity that we wanted to do and they encouraged it. They also read to us every night. My mother continued to be in place throughout her life and even though she was a teacher and w- wherever we lived, you know, she would be in a little playhouse theater or something. Um, and so i started in germany when i was six and it was very strict ballet and i think i might have been the only person of color in my class at the time Mm -hmm. um it was just something my parents wanted me to do i did it every time we moved i would pick up ballet classes wherever i lived um it was kind of, I remember getting rewarded, you know, when I was like nine or 10, like if I went to ballet on Saturday, I could have a donut, you know, something mm. funny like that or a <laughs> yeah. McDonald's or something. This is like, you know, mid sixties. Yeah. Um, I never had a problem with my weight. I never had a problem with body image that way. I have very tight hips, which I don't have a lot of open rotation, very, very necessary to be a prima ballerina, very important. Um, So I always kind of felt badly that I didn't have these really, really open hips, but I had the ability to jump and do all of these other things. I had good feet and good proportions. By the time I was in, I don't know, 11 or 12, my family had moved. We were the first black family to move into a city in Michigan I was the first black obviously in my school, uh, which was a junior high, my sister in her school elementary. I was also the only dancer in my school. Oh, I was one of the two people. Who Were you in Detroit? In, uh, no, was in uh, Warren, Michigan, Centerline, Line, Michigan, okay. in, in mid sixties. And uh, my dad, uh, this is another side story, but we lived on an army base there because nobody would sell them a house because of the yeah. color of their skin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went to the schools. And to this day, some of my best friends are people whose families opened their doors and their hearts to our family way back then Some of my best, best, best friends are still from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and I also played the violin. Um, there were no violin teachers. So I stopped playing the violin at when I was 14, my mom really thought that uh, I had some talent and asked my teacher in Warren if there were a place I could go. And she said, Interlochen. And I went to the summer oh, camp when I was 14. That's such a great place, yeah. So I, I went to school there and I well, I wound up staying there. And so I did my high school at Interlochen. And every wow. summer between that, I would go to, I went to American University one summer when I was 16. I went to Jacob's Pillow in Massachusetts when I was 15. I went to Connecticut College when I was 16 during the summers when I was not at Interlochen. So I had a great education and I would say that Interlochen was a place where even though I was one of few people of color, I felt like everybody. I -hmm. did not feel, I felt like we were all there for the first time in my life. I was in the right place. I was with people who were like me, not because of the color of my skin, but in my mindset and what I wanted to do. We were all artists, dancers, pianists, art majors, um, you know, musicians. Uh, it was a beautiful environment for three years of school with, you know, like 300 students there. And that's where I got my training, which sent me directly to Juilliard um, in mm. New York. So I moved to New York when I was 17. I didn't have those kind of problems. Maybe I was just sort of naive. My problems actually came much later. My, my thing was that And I thought about this so much, Russell and Harmony, that I have absolutely no regrets as a dancer. I did it all. I did everything that one could do as a dancer. And I have total fulfillment with that. I danced with Martha Graham's company when I was 19 after Juilliard for a year. I left that to join Twyla Tharp. I've been paid 52 weeks a year by Twyla Tharp since 1975. I've been with her for 45 years. I mean,
1: That's I don't- <laughs> She should I, raise her salary some. But yeah. Well, no,
2: but actually now I, I, I don't, you know, we, she doesn't have a company. So I do, I, I work for her when there are pieces that need to be set and staged. But in my career with her, I did the movie Hair. We did a Broadway show, Singing in the Rain, in which I played Suits Charisse. We did television projects. So I had a a full career. We've traveled the entire world, South America, Asia, all of the states, all of Europe. Um, So it was fulfilled. When I retired, I was good. I started yoga when I was in my late 40s. And perhaps my body images came from maybe not being able to do things that younger people could do or having to move slower into it and maybe not getting as far in the practice as I would have liked to have gotten. So it's interesting that I didn't really have that in dance. I had it more in yoga um, because I feel like I couldn't quite understand at the time that yoga was something that was really for me, for my body, much more of an internal practice and that it was
0: what I needed for me and not a show. it's fascinating like coming to the practice Mm -hmm. out of your dance career and then um still having all of those patterns and like habits of thinking and samskaras with you from dancing and and excelling at dance and then yoga is similar but kind of different right (laughs) I i would actually say i
2: think many dancers who do yoga suffer from you know a lot of dancers that come into yoga have, are beat up man we're beat up our, our knees are bad yeah. our back is bad uh, there there really is a lot of body issues um i didn't personally have them i didn't have that problem look i was dancing with twyla and with martha eight ten hours a day Uh, every day. And then of course, if we were in the theater and doing a run for a couple of weeks or something, we were performing at night, finishing at 10.30, eating dinner, getting up, taking class at 9.30 in the morning, rehearsing from 12 to four or five, going to the theater, getting ready, warming up again, performing all night, eight shows a week or whatever you're doing. So I didn't didn't have anything of that. Um, And I actually had a very healthy career in terms of injuries. Again, more of my stuff came from yoga. I just didn't learn how to stop pushing. But Can I ask you,
1: before digging more into that, was it difficult to transition from ballet into modern? Did you, that that open hip thing, was that something that that upset you at the time or did you feel like you knew the direction that you should go?
2: You're such a good uh, interviewer. This is such a good question. Wow, I'm going to be really, really honest. I have never really said all this before. I had a teacher in 1969 that told me that I would never be a ballet dancer because of the color of my skin. Wow. Not, and and maybe, and that's all I really remember. I remember the place, I remember the conversation, I remember the teacher. Mm -hmm. So that's 1969, I was 14. And um, uh, I love ballet. And anyone who knows me knows I love ballet. I weep at the ballet. I mean, <laughs> I sit at the ballet when I sit, I used to sit with Barishnikov because he was the director when I was there. And I was a, you know, a rehearsal director after I retired. I stayed at American Ballet Theater as one of their rehearsal directors for all of Twyla's rep. And uh, I would watch these dancers and I would see in rehearsal and their hair is falling down and they have all their schmatzas on and everything. And then you'd see them in you know, Giselle or Sylphie mm-hmm. and they're all, they were so beautiful. And I would cry and he couldn't believe that I would cry, you know, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I did ballet every day of my life. That's how I, I warmed up and trained and kept my body. It was like playing the scales on the piano. It's just what mm-hmm. I did. Um, I did not... I didn't feel bad actually. Russell, I felt like, okay. He said, you have a beautiful body. You have beautiful feet. You have beautiful proportion. You have a natural ability to move. You have everything. You should be a modern dancer or a Broadway dancer or be an actress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, I'm gonna just keep doing ballet and I'm gonna, Go. I mean, I was taking modern dance classes at Interlochen anyway, mm-hmm. and I just went that direction. Um, and honestly, the kicker of the whole story is that 20 years later, at 34 years old, Baryshnikov brought me into American Ballet Theater as a soloist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. Um, Uh, I had a great career.
1: Enormous sense of of, um, legitimacy to that, to to that Misha picking you out like that.
2: Well, you know, he, Twyla came in to be his associate director to ABT and she had disbanded her company and she brought a few of her dancers into American Ballet Theater at that time. Bear to the point, and I'm, you know, I don't know who this is to, but um, Misty Copeland, who is a woman of color, uh is in american ballet theater now and she was a soloist um Mm -hmm. while she was in the core she was a soloist after that which is the next tier if you will and she's the first uh woman of color to be a principal dancer in american ballet theater so if you wanted to give this man some kind of "Mm," Mm -hmm. she's the first one there right and how many years later was that
0: yeah quite a few Uh you
2: know from 1969 to when she became, a, I don't remember what year, but it hasn't been, you know.
0: hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long. I, that long. I yeah. mean, it
2: hasn't been 10 years, I don't think. No. I don't want to misquote. So um, I grew up with my grandparents and my parents who marched, who, you know, did all of that. My, my um, both sets of my grandparents only had one child. My mother and father were only children. And even though they one was raised in Virginia and the other in South Carolina and never knew each other, my grandparents, all four of them realized that they could only have one child because education was the most important and the key to success. And if they had more than one, they would not be able to afford the jobs that they had to do to put my mother and father through school and that they both met in college And graduated. My mother is brilliant, was brilliant. My mother has passed, but she graduated a year early. So I think um, I've always been brought up with uh, a strong work ethic, um, the ability to try anything that I wanted to do extracurricular to make me a more rounded person, whether it was ballet or, you know, I was like, okay, I'll play the violin. Okay. I I don't want to play the violin. I'm not good at it. I stopped after three years. I was not that good at it. I didn't have a passion. I continued with the piano. I didn't have the passion I had for dance. Um, Mm -hmm. I took the harp at Interlochen for a year. I was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, But so I I could try other things, you know, I had this opportunity and I I had these you know, wonderful parents that, opened the door for me to sort of continue in what they had always hoped to be and do, you know, be on the yeah. stage.
1: And um, they, they, It seems like they made very conscious decisions to give you as much privilege as they could, knowing that, that being African-American was gonna be a marginalized uh, position to be in. Growing
2: Absolutely. Up. And you know what, I mean, I, I don't have my parents now, but I don't even know if I've ever told them about the teacher who said that to me. Mm-hmm. I never said it to any I mean, I just was okay. All right. You know, more was gonna say it's like, you, I was brought up when people called you bad names. And that happened a lot when I when we moved to Michigan a lot. Yeah, um, you just turn the other cheek. And the way to get over it was to to go and take your ballet class and to stay in school and to work hard and to learn education and to come home and be able to tell your grandma about it and your mom and dad about it and, and to uh, just keep striving, put one foot in front of the other, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, call me this and call me that, you know, all of those yeah. things. And I just at the time took it as, okay, I'll show you. Yeah, not in a defiant way, but just like it gave me the spark mm-hmm. to yeah. to keep striving. I didn't have to say it to anyone. I didn't have to say it to my parents. It was just inside of me. Okay, and um, like I said, I think people always, you know, go well. There's no one here like me. I'm the only person of color. But here I was at Interlock and one of a very few. And I felt everybody was me. Mm-hmm. Everybody was a 14-year-old or 15-year-old or 16-year-old kid away from home Mm -hmm. for all those years trying to fulfill their passion and being directed in every way possible by the greatest teachers and mentors to do that. So we were living in the, you know, it was cold in Michigan. I mean, up there in Traverse City, you know. And it was was an honor and a privilege. And um, we were all the same. We were all the same.
1: Did, did you think that right away, everyone around you, all your teachers around you growing up, that, that there was something a little bit different about you that you were so obviously a star?
2: <laughs> I don't know if I would say a star at all, but I would say that um, I had tremendous encouragement and wonderful teachers and wonderful, wonderful opportunities. And I had the thing, you know, when you're in the right place at the right time. I, I really believe a lot of that, you know, I was in New York at the right time, the 72, uh, Juilliard. It was incredible. The dance was everywhere. The National Endowment was amazing. There were companies all over. It was, it was a beautiful, wonderful place to be. I didn't even have fear. I didn't even know what fear was. I didn't even think for a second I wasn't gonna make it. I didn't even know what making it meant. I just, it was such an incredibly wealthy time uh, an enriching time for the arts. And even to be in New York, juxtaposed to, yeah, there were a lot of drugs and there were a lot of problems also, but I didn't live in that world. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was surrounded by people that just seemed to be put on the earth to help me to be better at what I do, which were my teachers and my my colleagues. And so it just kind of happened. I was that, that person who went to Interlochen in the summer and then got a scholarship and got to stay there for three years of school and while I was in my last year of school I auditioned in New York at Juilliard and got into Juilliard and had a scholarship and after a few years in Juilliard Martha Graham saw me perform or someone from the company and I went and auditioned alone with my friend Christopher for Martha Graham in a room and she took me into her company and we wound up in 74 or five going to asia for three months and going to venice and performing all over you know i was 19 and i can remember going to, you have to audition at the end of each year at juilliard to pass that year and all the teachers are lined up you know like in fame or whatever and they're yeah. at their desk and you have to dance and then they give you your critique and all that and i remember going um i just got into the mark graham company you know? right. <laughs> Yeah, and it was during that time that I had done a workshop with Twyla Tharp between Juilliard, you know, in the summer. I had gone to another summer camp, American University, Wolf Trap in Washington, and I took her classes for six weeks, and I loved it. And um, somebody from her company remembered me, and they had auditions, and they sought me out. And she invited me to come audition for the company. And it's a place I always wanted to be. It was creative and new. It wasn't doing old repertoire. It was, you know, four dancers. It was very avant-garde and it was downtown. And I went in and I auditioned for the dancers and I left the gram when my contract up was up and did that. So my hope, and it was with Twyla that I went to American Ballet Theater. And then it was that that led to that. And it was, if you want to go it was me and my passion for cycling and trying to figure out how to bring back and give back to the dance world and aids and all of that that led me to yoga and it was that teacher pat at my gym who took me to jiva mukti which sent me to mysore it all just kind of uh fell into a, a i'm not gonna say it was easy it wasn't easy but it fell into a a, 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 an organic line of movement, perhaps mm-hmm. is a better way to say it. And yeah, it wasn't always easy. And look, I was beginning yoga and I was married to David Swenson and I couldn't, you know, jump through, jump back, bow. I mean, you know, I couldn't do any of it, right? So it <laughs> also messed with my head that I left uh, New York yeah, and where I'd lived for 30 years and all of my work, and what I thought was my self-worth to go on another journey in my early 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Late 40s, early 50s with David, where it was all David. Right. So you know, You're
0: a star in the, in the dance world and everybody knows you. Um, and then in the yoga world, David's a star. Yeah. And everyone knows him. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was just
2: very... It was, um and but I will, you know, I will say that David always said, you know, the the asanas don't matter, you know, mm-hmm. it's not about the asanas. He kept, you know, he'd always say that to me, and I went, like, well, I don't know, because it's what everybody, you know, it's all about the yeah. asana, <laughs> and and that was part of me going to Mysore. I wanted to know, okay, is David telling the truth, or is he just saying that because he loves me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah and he's trying to keep me calm <laughs> and honestly that's what i felt when i went to mysore you know i didn't feel that it was about the asanas at all it was something much richer and fuller and um and i loved it i loved it
1: you know meeting meeting you there knowing absolutely nothing about dance uh, at all except that i i don't have any i don't have good rhythm but i have a i have a good point um <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes you do <laughs> i you always notice
2: feet i'm sure i've told you you did you did, yes. you did yes. tell me yes. you were actually I, the
1: I, one that told me that i had a good point yes I, um, you know when you're
2: in a handstand or a headstand i'm always pointing out to david i'm like oh my god their feet are so beautiful
1: oh, <laughs> but knowing really nothing about you i could see that there was something electric about you That there's something about you that was you are gonna be a star in any environment you were gonna be in. And even in yoga, where David Swenson is a star, you're still the person that people wanna get to know. (laughs) And so I wonder, you know, growing up in dance, you're aware, are you aware that there are other people that just don't have that? You know, the people that aren't being picked out and what, what is it that they don't have? I mean, you have passion, you have work and you have all the technique and you've been privileged enough to have all of these great teachers and yet someone else is in the same position and they just don't have that fucking spark that you have
2: well you know it's in everything you know why is it that some people practice yoga for a year and can do it all and some people have been doing it for 10 20 years and will never stand up out of a backbend you know i mean mm-hmm. it's a, it why are all, all animals are beautiful all horses are beautiful but what is it that makes uh you know secretary i don't know anything yeah, about horses but what you know special. what makes one he's horse
1: a, it's a special horse
2: it's a special horse now is that <laughs> proportion i mean what made lance armstrong when he was at the top of his thing you know i mean well he, he his proportions is he's well, something he, got, he has he some... got
1: cancer and he lost all that upper body weight and he made him super light and then he started shooting up a bunch of junk and he was amazing <laughs>
2: But, but before but he, that, before that, I think- He's, like, a, he's you know, a
1: fellow, Harmony, he's a fellow Austinite. So he's, right. we know him from back then.
2: We do, we know him, you know, and I, like I said, I cycled, so I watched all those tours and to yeah. France and all that stuff for many, many, many years. He, but I do he think- jumped He jumped into like, a
1: crowd right next to me in Paris. Oh, he was I, on his I bicycle at the Champs-Elysees and the Texans came by, and we were all waving our flags, and he jumped into the crowd and crowd surfed. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. And
2: now we don't really know where he is. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean he, I read that he had like a bigger heart uh, than most, or some sort of yeah. capacity. You know, anyway, what I'm saying is there are major star dancers that cannot teach you how to be a star and they can't teach you how to be who they were or are. Mm -hmm. And then there are teachers who are not stars that can teach you things that they couldn't do. Right. Do you know what I mean? There are different kinds of people. And um, I don't know what makes someone super, super special, but I can pick them out. I can, and and it's not always the one that can do everything. That's the, at that moment, you know, and that's part of my job also going in, if I have to go to a, no, not if I, I wish I could now with COVID, but when I go to work with a ballet company or or any company, Alvin Ailey, uh, the Royal Ballet, the Swedes, the Swiss, the Dutch, uh, Joffrey, whoever, um, and I say that with love, not whoever, because I love them all. You walk in and you watch them in class and there's always the obvious, well, we need a tall this and that or we need someone who can turn 10 times and we need the jumper. Yeah, okay. And then there's always somebody that no one else thinks is ready. And I think they are. Mm -hmm. And those are the people, you know, they're, I don't know, sometimes they're in the back, sometimes they're the youngest, and sometimes they're the oldest, that people think will she can't possibly be Juliet anymore, she's past her prime. And somehow you can bring out something in those people and fill them with confidence, and, and they have some sort of artistic uh, je ne sais quoi, you know, something mm-hmm. special, and it all just comes out again. So some people you can't see it and you can bring it out of them. Um, star quality. I don't know. I, uh, sometimes I remember certain people tell me you could tell by someone's eyes, you could tell by the way they intuit information and they listen Mm -hmm. and how they pay attention. Um, I really don't know what makes a star. I don't know if they're born or if they learn it. Um, I don't know what makes people special, but there's, I will also say that everybody is special. Some people just happen to figure out what they're particularly great at when they're very young and stick to it and make it happen. You know, some people mm-hmm. just get yeah. it right off the bat. They're, they're supposed to be on a horse. They're supposed to be a ballet dancer. They're supposed to play the horn. They're supposed to invent computers or right. whatever. They're just, they're supposed to have children. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> interesting. Mother. That's so you, like being able to to put those pieces together to yeah. intuit or feel like, yeah. like you were saying your life, how it flowed, like just able to kind of sense if you're in the right place, you know, right. something right. to that, right. That being open right, um, to receiving, I don't know, guidance or messages or just the feeling, the quality of, of where your life needs to move. It's,
2: I don't know. Yeah. Challenge. I mean, it, it's, you know, it is, the ability to have to recognize that it's the ability to have imagination passion discipline to get back up when you're down when people tell you you can't you have to there's a point when we all as dancers know another dancer will tell you for sure other dancers I'm not going to make it I'm not going to make it as a professional dancer I'm not going to make it to make a living being a professional dancer think of all the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of People who take ballet class, they're not all professional dancers.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So there's a point where you know, I can do it. And then there's a point where you think you still can and you're still trying, but you honestly, you know, you can't. I mean, I've had a lot of roommates like that. And then there's a point where (laughs) you go, okay, I'm gonna go back to school or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna, you know, have children or I'm going to be a T, you know, you, you, and then there's those people that just are gonna, I'm gonna just make it no matter what yeah and there's all those different um you know different channels and it ha- it hasn't been easy i say there's a flow but even with the flow there you know it goes backwards a bit and then sure. forwards and um but i was open to yeah. and i really was in new york city at the right time i i just you know uh theater art, Andy Warhol, uh, you know, the musicians, David Byrne. I mean, we worked with David Byrne. He did, you know, when he was with Talking Heads, we did a whole ballet to his music. Uh, Glenn (laughs) Branca, David Van Tegum. I mean, these amazing people. Um, It was just uh, a very, very, very special time.
1: What was, Mm -hmm. Harmony, what was the the ballet that we went to in in St. Petersburg? That's so famous. Oh,
0: we went to Swan Lake. And who, oh, what was wow. what
1: was the theater? What was the the Bolshoi? Or the something?
0: Bolshoi.
1: Yes. Went to see the Bolshoi, and you you pointed out to me their their body types, and that this is actually maybe a theater that you that you could have thrived in because they're all tiny white girls, short yes. tiny white girls, mm. and they have a they have a, a class of a body that they that they like, and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then. What what I'm what reminds me about that and what you just said is that you know someone with courage, some teacher, had to say at, at a certain point, it it doesn't matter that Misty Copeland doesn't look like that, you know she's a right. little she's a little maybe too muscular for what people have been doing, mm-hmm. but someone right. like you had to say you no know, she can do it, right. And I think that's that's amazing that kind of that kind of cultivation. But that there's so many there's so many cultural. Uh, what's the word zeitgeist? There's like a yeah. there's a cultural shifts that have to happen for that to be allowed.
0: Well, was, was, I think like ahead, even it. like uh, with in Canada we had a uh, Karen Kane who was a yes you know famous ballerina. But at the yeah. time she was very much not you know small petite right, ballerina. Right. She was, I mean, she's still quite petite, but for a ballerina, she was quite large. Right. And Nuriev kind of pulled her out and said, no, this is the, mm. the partner I want to dance with. Right, and right. That's what kind of catapulted her career. Oh, and, right, right. Uh, she's a beautiful dancer. I mean, you know, she's beautiful, beautiful,
2: beautiful. Look, I think that it takes all kinds and we're learning that more. And there's much more acceptance even in this bleak time in America. Um, I, you know, I think I wake up every morning and think of something that gives me gratitude and I wake up with hope because if I don't, I will go down a rabbit hole this, this last seven, eight months. You know, I mean, there's no theater, there's this, I mean, everything, I don't even want to just start, so I'm not going to go there, but, um, there we are open to a society where there, you know, a person of color can be, a, in the white Swan, be a Swan, um, yeah. And I think also we're we're talking about opportunity Mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to take ballet classes, you have to go to a studio, you have to have a bit of money, you have to buy shoes, you have to have all kinds of things to, you know, take class and and to excel in it, right? Unless you can get a scholarship when you're, you know, very, very young. So we actually to have more people of color in ballet, we have to, to create more uh, uh, options for them to be able to start ballet as young children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: That's because ballet difference. is something
2: you can't start at yeah. it. Generally speaking, you can't start it when you're 12 and be a professional dancer by the time you're 16 or 17, which is sort of where you have to be to be a ballet dancer, right? I mean, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, even even for me in Canada, you know, growing up in the eighties, you know coming from a a middle class you know white suburban family it was my parents were sacrificing a lot and borrowing money from my grandparents and like they were always so stressed out about the cost of ballet lessons it was a huge burden for them to put me through ballet lessons I I would have
1: called them working class actually given how they're you know the electrician and a nurse yeah in the 80s they're broke I mean that's (laughs) They, they did, they gave up everything. Everything.
2: It- but you know, I mean, uh, that's what parents do or it did. Is. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, 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 um, they, they try most parents, my parents, David's parents to, to make the world a little better place for you. That's what we're all trying to do within the environment and, yeah. you know, voting and everything like to try and, yeah, you should have struggles. We should all go through struggles. We should all go through pain and loss and also the good times, right? But um, our parents are, are nurturing, right? You know, no different than actually our, our yoga should be, right? And so they, they provide a, a fertile environment and ground for you to grow in. They can't protect you from everything, all the harsh winds and uh, too much rain and drought, but they're there <laughs> for you all the time, you know? So um, that's what parents do. And look, I'm not going to say that... It, there's so many dancers i mean i know dancers that were perfect beautiful amazing when i went to school and then the the girl grows to be 6 foot 2 and she can't be a dancer because she's too tall yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just because your color of your skin it's just or someone's body shape just morphs into something that is not yeah. a dancer's body and not a ballet dancer's body right so now there the options have opened more over the years and certainly in the world of dance and modern dance contemporary dance Uh, it's you know we're open to seeing all kinds of bodies and colors and shapes and genders and um so in a way i think we've come a long way we've got a long way to go but it's the beginning yeah yeah
1: so i'm i'm reminded of um of something that the michael jordan said recently in the documentary that was just released and you know that then maybe he didn't exactly say it in the finals but I, I didn't exactly say it in the documentary but he said it that nothing in his life ever has equaled the time when he was in the finals and here he is now he's he's 50 something years old he has a billion dollar business he owns an nba team but that he doesn't ha- he's still he doesn't have that thing that he had then and i and i wonder Where you are with your career and with with choreography, and and with do you ever do you feel like there was that time in the 80s with Studio 54 and with dance and in New York? Is it do you do you do you feel like you need to to still find that excitement, or 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 is what you're doing now um, enough for you?
2: Well, wow, okay. Hmm. For me, dance is my life. Mm-hmm. It's my passion. It is where I feel home. When I walk into a, a, a dance studio, it doesn't matter if it's in Norway or Nashville or anywhere in the world. I feel like I'm home. I feel something, something so in my soul, so in my being in every bone in my body right now even talking about it, it it gives me chills I mean I I am a dancer um having said that yeah for years afterwards and I've always said you know come some of the books I would want to write are like what do you do when it's over? You're 36 years old, you've reached the top, you've retired at the Met Opera House, you've danced everywhere in the world, you've bought your apartment, you have this, you've had flowers thrown on stage, you've had standing ovations, you know, th- those are the highs, there are also a million lows, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 then, and then what? What do you do with the rest of your life? How do you even, because as a dancer, you know, you started when you are a child and it's all you want to do. And then you have to reinvent and recreate and, uh, it's yeah you miss the applause and you miss the hard work and for me a dance the team the the spirit the I mean you know you're in a studio for months and months having someone create movement on you and 10 other dancers 12 other dancers two other dancers you and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they give you costumes and makeup and hair and then you're on stage and you're working in the rehearsals and you're getting lights and then there's a orchestra and a conductor and um, ushers and stage hands and guys up in the stage doing the light cues and everything comes together and the curtain goes up and there's this hush in the audience and the music starts and you're running to this other guy on stage with you're hoping that he's going to catch you after you've done whatever you've done <laughs> there's all this trust and this passion and this all the just it's unleashed you know it's like when you let the leash off of the dog and he gets to run through the park there's <laughs> nothing like it but you can't live in the past and you can't live on those things alone so i get tremendous tremendous joy from sitting in the audience and watching dancers that i have worked with and taught a dance that i danced and it is now theirs I get tremendous satisfaction. I don't have children, but it kind of has that thing where you give them everything you've got, everything, you know, I, I, I go away, I do these ballads, I go into like a seclusion, I spend nights. How am I going to get Harmony to get this triple tour? How am I going to get Russell to trust this woman when she's being thrown in the air and this other person, how am I going to do it? Do I need to bring a mattress on the floor so if she thinks she's going to fall, we can, I, I do it. How do I get them to understand the essence of this work that was made in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, 2000, how do you teach somebody about Sinatra? They weren't even born. They don't even know who he is. People don't even know who David Van Tegum is now. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like how do you bring that time to these people now and let it be of, of importance in 2020 and in their lives. And, um, they weren't even born when I was dancing these roles, right? So
0: <laughs> that
2: to get to get all that out and to give it to them and to watch them do it and they you know they fail in the beginning. I always say to them, okay, you guys, I'm gonna be like you're the kid and you're gonna be crawling. And I'm going to keep showing the steps and I'm going to say, it's okay. And then you're going to start that wiggle thing you do. And then you're going to get on a table and hold (laughs) up and pull yourself up and up. And then you're going to fall down and then you're going to start walking and you're going to fall. And one day after this is all done, I promise you, I'm going to stand on the other side of the room and I'm going to call your name and you're going to run to me just like kids. I'm going to make it so safe that you know that you're going to be able to let go of that table and that you've already fallen and it's okay to fall. And that's how, and That's what happens. And then you just sit back in an audience and you hope that the kid you sent off to college is not gonna do drugs and (laughs) not do this and that because you've given them everything you have and you hope when the curtain goes up that they can do that and they do. And so that's another kind of uh, incredible feeling. Will I ever have the feeling of when I was on stage? No. But do I have to have that to live my life? No, because um I have other things. I've learned to replace them, you know? I have David. I have my cat Yogi. I have I have my I have my health. I have a family. I was raised with love. I have love. I have health. I have a family. I have David. I have love. I have health. I have a family. I have David.
1: That sounds like a Nina Simone song that I know.
2: But you know what I mean? It's like you have that person when you're yeah. when you're really hurting, when you're really yeah. down, when you don't think you can do it, when you've been away for so long, when, you know, when, I don't know, when there's not enough money, when there's not enough this, when you don't feel good about yourself, when you've given so much of yourself, you have nothing for you. There's all those other things, right? And then at the end of the day, I, I can talk to David. I have yeah. somebody who has my back. I have... I call my sister. I can sit alone and um, be grateful for my health at this point. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. I, can, I could turn it and be a downer and I've done that. Um, but I choose to not do that, especially now, because I know if I were to go down, I, I wouldn't be able to get back up mm-hmm. so I can ride the waves, but I don't want to drown.
0: <laughs> right. One thing that I always think about um, when I'm teaching students, Shelly, about especially about like meditation, actually, Mm -hmm. and people want to develop meditation practice or develop a sitting practice. I always think back to you. And um, when you were in Mysore one year, I don't remember which year it was, but you decided that you were going to develop a meditation practice or a sitting practice. Can you Tell us how you did that. If you were
2: talking about the same, I would get okay. So yeah, we're is, talking
0: about the same story. <laughs> I
2: think I think we are. Um, I'm not sure, but for me, um, it started in Mysore, and they, they had a puja room in the place that we were renting. So I had it all, you know, done with the gods and Lakshmish came and Shiva and Lakshmish blessed it, and then I would be like, okay, well, this is weird. What do I do? Um, I decided I was going to get up and I was just going to sit in that room every morning before I would stretch, before we would practice at 4.15 a.m. And um, I would uh, take a breath for, for my family and inhale and exhale for everyone I loved.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, it started like that. I would inhale and exhale and think of my dad. Mm. and inhale and exhale and think of my mom. And then I would go through my grandparents and my sister and boyfriends and friends. And it started, you know, I couldn't think and I couldn't sit very long until it became this whole beautiful, I couldn't wait to wake up at two and go in this room. And then it just became me with my breath. I don't know if that's the same story, but that's yeah. how. And for me, I will say that um, I became after you know I have a lot of arthritis, and my practice is a baby practice, and I can't you know I could never take a lead class, and that um, I had a hard time dealing with the fact that I was physically not as strong as I had always been my whole life and been noted for that's strong right. in another way, but you know I I couldn't do down dog for years. I can now do down dog. Um, because of my shoulders, it's not a very pretty down dog, but I can I can hold it for three or four breaths now without excruciating pain. So I've been working, um, and I started swimming. So about five years ago, I was really in despair as my you know body was falling apart. I had a hip replacement when I was sixty-two. Uh, I believe that the yoga actually gave me probably twenty years. I mean, I'm. Probably one of the oldest dancers I know that has had a hip replacement. Most of most of my company and many people I know have had them done much much younger. Mm-hmm. So I think the yoga gave me saved me, and of course my if I could have my body like my replaced hip, I would be you know in twentieth series by now. It's so fabulous. Um, <laughs> it's fabulous. Um, so one day David, um, said, you know, I was going down I was definitely going down. I would cry in my practice because I couldn't do things that I used to be able to do easily. I would cry because I didn't understand how the things that I could do all of primary and all the binding and all that, you know, I thought it wasn't good enough. I wanted to get to third, right? I would cry because I couldn't do kapo and I used to be able to do it and grab my ankle, you know, and I didn't know when I was doing them how wonderful it was to be where I was. Right. So I would just go in the room and do my yoga and fall apart. And then I would try the next day and fall apart. And he would say, you don't have to do this. And I went, yes, I do. I'm Shelley Washington. You have to, you have to keep going. You can't stop. And um, one day he said, okay, let's just go to the Y. Let's go to a pool. He hates swimming pools and chlorine. I Let's not use the word hate because David doesn't hate. Mm -hmm. he 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 really doesn't he doesn't have strongly dislikes the chlorine yes he hasn't got hate in his body he doesn't have it it just it's not there so he strongly dislikes chlorine and he strongly dislikes uh, um, confinement of space in water (laughs) (laughs) he he strongly strongly and strongly loves the ocean Mm -hmm. that's where he finds his happy place you know that's dave i'm the opposite i like lanes i like chlorine i like a thing on my head so my hair doesn't get yucky Mm. i like a one-piece bathing suit i like that there are no sharks there's no sand and i like just order yeah Mm -hmm. all right so there we go he likes surfing and he likes swimming with turtles and big fish and i mean i can do it but it's not like hmm so he yeah. goes with me in the water and I can barely lift my arm and you know, I couldn't really swim. I used to be a swimmer in the seventies and I hadn't been back in the water since. And after two days he goes, okay, now you, it's yours. It's yours, we'll get you a membership and, and it's yours. You go to the, and I started swimming and I got up to, I don't know, swimming three miles a day.
0: Wow, wow. I would swim
2: for like two hours, never stop. I never stop. I don't stop once. I touch, turn, go back. I keep going i don't stop in for anything my bathing suit could be falling off i don't stop my <laughs> goggles are good i just i keep going and as i started doing it it became my yoga practice and this is going to mm-hmm. sound weird i was so much more in tune with my body in the water than i had ever really realized i had ever been in my practice really deep really deep where i felt I saw no one. I did nothing, nothing was in my way. Nobody Mm -hmm. could splash me and make me move. Nothing would make me stop. I felt calm. Mm -hmm. I felt okay. It started and I could only do two laps. I got up to like 200 and whatever. It's, you know, three miles, whatever. And I did it every day. I would just go um, and just get in the water and I'd put my flippers on and I would only do the backstroke because I had limitations of my hip. They wouldn't let me do the breaststroke anymore. I wasn't great at the crawl. And I just started, and it would open me, and I could open my shoulders and put my arms over my head, which I couldn't do without water. I found a piece, and I would go up one side and down the other and think of my mom. Or I started, actually, I lied. I'd go, I'd start the first 10 laps, and I'd be like, 10, 11. What do I remember when I was 11? Twelfth laps what do I remember when I was 12? And then I'd get to my age and then I would just pass it. And then I'd be like at 150 and then I'd be like 180. And then my mom, whom I, I lost many years ago um, in an accident, all of a sudden it became about my mom. And it was like, oh, I, could, I felt like I was in her womb. I felt freedom. I felt every breath, I could hear my heart. I was so in tune with rhythm it took me the same amount of strokes for 240 laps like i never de- you know i was 14 stroke i mean i never detoured i was just in this zone people would come and watch me swim i didn't even know it i became like oh there, here comes the girl just <laughs> gonna, you know just keep going the guards would change you know they change every half hour like two hours later a guys back He's like you haven't left yet i'd be like Oh, okay. I'll get out now. Um, <laughs> and it became my meditation. And it took me back to my work um, yeah. It became this, you know, like, like being in the womb, being in somewhere where the sound and the, my breath and um, being alive and um, uh, recalling and uh, thinking of people you love and you care about. And uh, um, it became this huge, and it actually helped me get back into my practice it helped my shoulders it helped my mind it it helped my concentration it helped my breath it basically healed my soul
0: mm.
2: that's so beautiful so the swimming and the meditation yeah. both have been really really uh crucial and important um
1: Oosh. Well, Shelley, I really want to thank you for for your generosity and, and sharing with us. It's it's an incredible event for us. And we're just so we're just so overjoyed to have have this time with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. It's been wonderful to reconnect. I I think of you both. I love you. I have so many fun and wonderful memories. So um and harmony. Oh my gosh. The little <laughs> the little angel that came to my sore wide, wide eyes and just kept practicing and practicing and now look where you are and what you're doing it's pretty and my fellow Texan Russell mm. so you know
1: yeah let's go Westlake
2: yeah man we've practiced <laughs> together all over the world so how long, yeah yeah and so I will end and say thank you and uh, November 3rd is my 66th birthday so I'm hoping. Oh! To-
1: i know fantastic
2: yeah well yeah. It, it is or it isn't it depends
1: ha- it is it's happy thanksgiving <laughs> is what it's gonna be yes all
0: yeah.
1: right thank you guys thank you so much
0: thank you so much shelly yeah it's, it's just such an honor you spoke to my my heart and my soul
2: thank you it's my honor thanks
0: thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.